On June 16th, 1775, George Washington stood up at the Continental Congress and reluctantly accepted the command of the Continental Army. Washington, at least according to what he said, would have preferred to stayed at home in Mount Vernon and managed their farm. In fact, during the Revolutionary War, ironically enough, after overseeing all of the various details of overseeing an army, he would write lengthy, detailed letters to, uh, might have been a nephew, who was overseeing the remodeling of Mount Vernon. His heart was at Mount Vernon. But as he reluctantly accepted the command, he knew the daunting task that lay ahead of him. He had very little military experience. He had seen some engagements in about 20 years earlier in the French and Indian War. But he was taking command of an assorted group of individuals that had volunteered for different amounts of time, most of them very short, who had never fought in an army, who were farmers, and the most experience they had had was shooting rabbits and maybe some deer. He knew he had to organize them. He knew he had to try to provide for them. He knew that he had to train them. And it seemed like for the first couple years, he was starting to get them trained and January 1 would roll around and the enlistments would expire and they would leave their cold, barely receiving any food locations to go back home. It was a daunting task. But Moses faced a similar task, except he had an army not of tens of thousands, but of hundreds of thousands, who had never fought, who had never seen a battle, who were downcast slaves that had recently been set free. And the book of Numbers begins there. And that's where we're going to continue our journey through the Bible, in the book of Numbers. Now, in our Bible, it's referred to as Numbers. We are following the Septuagint, or the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, and where they have referred to it as Numbers as well, Arithmoi. And there's a good reason why it says numbers. We see in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of meeting, on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, 
Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually. Numbers begins with the numbering of the children of Israel, particularly the men of war, 20 years old and older. The Hebrew name for this book is simply In the Wilderness, which is a very fitting name. Others have referred to this book as the Book of Journeyings. Others have referred to it as the Book of Murmurings. All fit very well. As we're going to look at the book of Numbers, we're going to see that it is somewhat of a sandwich book. It begins in verses 1 to 10 with the children of Israel marching to the promised land. In the middle, chapters about 11 to 25 or so, they're murmuring and going backwards. And chapter 26 on to 36, they're marching toward the promised land again. It's a book about marching and murmuring. But why did they begin with numbering the children of Israel? God directed that they count them. We don't have all their names. We just have the names of the leaders. And then we have the numbers from each tribe. And we see that there's 603,550 men. They're registered. They're numbered. They're counted. And then we see them being dedicated to God. We see the dedication of the sanctuary, the offerings that were given in Numbers chapter 7. We see the Levites being dedicated. We see them reconsecrating themselves to God with really keeping the first Passover. Because while the first Passover had been instituted in Egypt, it wasn't really kept as a solemn religious feast because they were leaving Egypt. But now a year later, they... Keep the Passover. Very interesting. There's an account recorded that some of the individuals were defiled ceremonially by an unclean body, and they come to, or by a dead body, and they come to Moses and they say, We want to be dedicated too. We want to keep the Passover too. Isn't there an uh, exception or isn't there something that can be made? They were so much on the move with God, that they wanted to have a rerun of the Passover so that they could participate as well. Be like, it's like, oh, I got here late for the sermon. Could you preach it again? <laughs> I don't think I've ever been asked to do that. <laughs> but they wanted to be a part of this dedication and this celebration to God. And God was marching 
with them to the promised land. We see in in Numbers chapter 9, if you want to turn there, Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 through 18. And on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. What did they have right there in their midst? They could look above the sanctuary that had just been erected. It was described in Exodus. It was the services were described in Leviticus. And they could look to the sanctuary that had just been erected. And they could see by day a cloud covering the sanctuary. And at night there was a pillar of fire, an illumination of fire that spread throughout the camp, and they knew that that was the symbol of God's presence that was with them. Would that be encouraging to have a symbol of God's presence with you? Not only was it an encouraging symbol of God's presence, but Think of what it must have been for them as they looked and as they saw the cloud rise from the tabernacle. They knew it was time to start packing up. And as they journeyed, they followed the cloud. But as they followed this cloud, it probably had spread out some to provide them some relief from the burning desert sun. Now, I've never been in the wilderness of Sinai. I've been in some deserts. And they seem to be like a bake oven. In the middle of the day, when the sun is shining hot and the sun is reflecting off of, there's no grass to soak up the rays, the rock and the sand around, and as the sun is reflecting off of it, you're getting heat from above and heat from below, and you better be careful, because if you're out in that too much, you can develop some serious problems. And here, as they journeyed, there was this cloud that would give them protection from the scorching heat of the sun. As they followed the cloud, they knew that God was going before them. They knew that they were following his leading. And they had the tangible protection of God from the sun 
representing the protection of God from all the other difficulties in the wilderness and in the promised land that they would confront. In Numbers chapters 1 to 10, we have a picture of a people that have been counted by God, that are moving with God on the march to the promised land, following their heavenly leader. Notice verse 23 of chapter 9. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Were they following the directions of the Lord here? It specifically says they were following the command of the Lord. Notice over in chapter 10. They're journeying now. This is their actual journey. And this is what they do as they're on their journey. Numbers chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. And so it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. They were going with God to the promised land. When they set out, they claimed God's presence going with them. When they made their camp, they claimed God's abiding with them. They had been counted. They were all numbered. If only they would have kept their eyes on the divine leader. Because numbers reveals a people that are counted. But the question is, could they be counted on? It's different from being counted and being able to be counted on, isn't it? God begins by counting them. He begins this message of this book of Numbers by counting them with the hope and with the promise that he will go with them and that they need to follow his leading and keep their eyes upon him so that he can count on them. Tragically, that is not the story of the book of Numbers, though. We come to chapter 11. And the picture changes. No longer do we have a enthusiastic multitude on the march to Canaan. Something happens. Beginning in verse 1, Numbers 11. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire quenched. So he called the name of the place Taberah, 
because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. The picture changes. What is the, what now is the picture in the book of Numbers? A murmuring multitude. When I was a boy, my mother would read Bible stories to us, and there was one that I really was my favorite one. Maybe not my favorite Bible story, but I remember it was this story, these stories right here in the book of Numbers because the Bible story would describe it as and the people mumbled and grumbled. And I liked that, how that rolled off their tongue. They mumbled and they grumbled. It's what they were doing, wasn't it? They were mumbling and grumbling. They were murmuring and complaining. Was the cloud still there? Was the fire still there? Could they have looked up and seen the symbol of God's presence among them? But instead of that, where do they look? They look back to Egypt. And they thought about the feasts and the Pleasures that they had had in Egypt, and it made them long for Egypt. Where you are looking is where you are going. Isn't that true? Is it very, a very wise plan to be walking one direction and looking in another direction. What happens? You're going to meet with some calamity, aren't you? If you're driving, you're going the direction you're looking, right? If you're walking, you're going the direction you're looking. They could have looked up to God's leading. But instead, they looked back to the feasts of Egypt. Isn't selective memory very interesting? They could have looked back to Egypt and they could have said, we had to work from sunup to sundown, we were not paid anything for our work, and then they took away our straw, and we had to do double the workload, and we worked in the hot burning sun for our Egyptian masters, and they beat us. They could have thought of that, couldn't they? But that wasn't what they thought of. What did they think of? We had some good feasts back there. Oh, we had plenty of meat. 
garlic, onion, cucumbers. And what do we have here? Manna. We've been eating this manna every day for a year. Or more at this point, but somewhere in there. Now, how would you like to eat the same food every day for a year? When I was a boy, when we would, if we complained about the food, my parents would threaten, they'd say, many places around the world, they only get, they only have one food that they eat, and that's all they get. We'll just start making a pot of rice, and you just eat the rice the whole, whole time, and that's all you'll get. It was just a threat, it never was carried through. I don't know how close we ever came to it, but. <laughs> Now, could they have looked at something different with the manna? They looked at Egypt selectively, didn't they? They remembered some feast that they had back in Egypt. But they selectively forgot about the slavery and the cruelty and all of that. And when they looked at the manna, they said, Our soul hates this light, this worthless bread here. But could they have looked at the manna differently? How could they have looked at the manna? Okay. Did God... Okay, it was God miraculously provided for them, didn't he? Could they have thought, God is providing for us out in the wilderness? Could that have been something they could have thought? Now, the Bible does talk about them boiling it and baking it and things like that. So while it was presumably the same food that they received, it seems as if it was prepared differently. I don't know how differently. I don't know what the options were. But it wasn't as bad as what they were making it. They started complaining. And as they complained, even though the pillar of cloud was right there, it removed them further and further from God. Do we ever have a tendency to complain? What's the favorite thing to complain about? (laughs) Seems like the weather is complained about more than anything else. In the winter, it's too cold. In the summer, it's 80 degrees and it's too hot. (laughs) 
Now, I haven't heard too many people complaining about the weather this week. It's true. Except maybe my girls. (laughs) What good does complaining do? They're complaining. When we look at the book of Numbers, it's their murmuring and their complaining that diverts them from where they're going. It's their murmuring and complaining that lengthens their journey exponentially. But it doesn't stop here. It begins here with complaining about the food, but it just keeps continuing. Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron complain about Moses' family. Chapter 13, they're at the borders of the promised land. They can see the promised land. They're on the southern border here. They're not crossing the Jordan. They're on the southern border here. They send their spies in. And what do the spies bring back? What is the report that they bring back? The cities are tall. The cities are walled. They're impregnable fortresses. There are giants there. And then they exaggerate it. When Caleb tries to say, the Lord is with us, we can take possession of it, they say, we are not able, they are stronger, and we were like grasshoppers to the giants. Was that an exaggeration? Now, I don't care how tall those giants were. It was not the comparison of a human to a grasshopper. They might have been twice as tall as them, but they were not a hundred times taller than them. When they complained, it magnified the difficulties. Is that what happens when we complain too? The more we complain, the bigger the problems seem to become. But the worst thing is that when we complain, it takes our eyes off of our divine leader. The cloud was there. The pillar of fire was there. It was among them. It was resting on their tabernacle when they camped and leading them by day when they journeyed. But instead of looking to God's leading, they looked back to Egypt. They looked at the circumstances and the difficulties around them. And as they looked at the difficulties, the giants grew in size. But they didn't stop complaining. We come to Numbers chapter 16. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram complain about the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Food is a famous thing, is a favorite thing to complain about, but leadership is also a favorite thing to complain about. 
Have you ever heard complaints in the break room about the boss or about the corporate or whatever? It's a favorite thing to complain about. Korodathan and Abiram are complaining about it. Complaining only makes things worse. I read a statement that it doesn't do any good to complain about your troubles because 80% of the people don't care and the other 20% think you deserve them. (laughs) But we see throughout this journey As soon as they began complaining, they forgot their divine leader and it led them into the wilderness for 40 years or for at least 38 additional years. Murmuring aborted their progress. They started from Mount Sinai, an enthusiastic multitude on the march to Canaan, but through murmuring, murmuring, those that were over 20 never made it. And the rest spent 40 years on a journey that could have been a few weeks. Complaining only complicates life. Let's go to Numbers 26. New section begins in Numbers 26. Numbers begins with the numbering of the men of war. Numbers concludes, although there's another 10 chapters after Numbers 26. Numbers concludes with the numbering of the children of Israel. But there's a difference. Notice Numbers chapter 26, verse 65, verse 64 and 65. They go through and they number again. And this time, they come up to 601,730. Almost the same as before. About 1,500 different. Now the tribes have, some tribes have increased and some tribes have decreased. It's interesting that the tribes that were together on one side, Simeon, see if I can pull it up here, Simeon and Reuben and one more, they all camped on one side. And their numbers all decreased. Seems like they might have been a poor influence on one another. But verses 64 and 65 says, But among those who were, there were, was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. 
600,000 men numbered again, and only two are the same. Why? Murmuring and complaining. You can't make it to Canaan complaining along the way. God counted them in the beginning, but discovered that they could not be counted on. God counts them again to see if they can be counted on this time. What was the difference here? Go back to Numbers chapter 21. I believe that we have the last time here, uh, not necessarily the last time, but a lesson that God was seeking to bring to them through this event. Numbers chapter 21, we read it in our scripture reading. This is near the end. They've been wandering now for 30 some years. And things are not looking good. Aaron has died. Miriam has died. And now they send to Edom and they want to go through on the pleasant highway and Edom says, no, you won't go. And they turn into the desolate wilderness again. And as they're going the long way, Uh, through this desolate wilderness with two of their favorite leaders that have just passed away. Guess what happens? They begin to what? (laughs) They begin to grumble and mumble. Verse 4. Then they journeyed from the Mount from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread. What do they do? Start complaining. Now, wait a minute here. Did they have no food? They had been provided with manna for 30-some years. Did they have no water? God had provided miraculously for them and brought water out of the rock. What's the problem? If you want to look on the dark side, you can always find something to complain about, can't you? But if you want to look for your divine leader, you can always find something to be thankful about too, can't you? So I believe the Lord wanted to teach them a lesson here. Remember, where you're looking is the way you're going. Verse 6, 
So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Where did those serpents come from? This is a hot desert. There were plenty of snakes there. But they hadn't seen them before. Why? Because God had been protecting them. I'm not a particular fan of snakes. Some people are, and if you are, that's fine. But a few, the few times when I've been hiking with, with my dad out in the deserts, he would be walking ahead and then I would be walking after him. And there's a couple times that I distinctly remember all of a sudden hearing... And let me tell you, I was backing up fast. I didn't know where it was, but I could hear it. And then I was making a wide loop around that area. I mean, we looked at it a little bit, but make sure we're clear away. Now imagine, the way it happened several times is my dad would go by, and as my dad went by, he would stir up the snake or whatever, and then he'd start to get a little bit irritated when I was coming by after him. Imagine going through a desert with a million or two people there would be nowhere to make a big track around, would it? You'd never get anywhere if you were always diverting around these snakes that were getting stirred up. It would be a recipe for disaster. God had withheld the snakes. He had held them back. He had not limited them from being a nuisance to them. And they start to complain and they start to talk about how they wish they, they were bad, that they were going to die in the wilderness and that they didn't have any food or water. And God says, all right, you don't think, you don't appreciate the blessings I'm giving you. I'm going to withdraw my hand so that you can see what it's like without my blessing. And as he does, I don't know how many. But when you read it, it sounds like there must have been hundreds of snakes that begin crawling through the camp of Israel. These were not garter snakes either. It says that they bit them and many of the people of Israel died. Verse 7. Therefore the Lord came to Moses and said, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. That's very unique, isn't it? Why did God direct that Moses make a serpent, put it on a pole, and that if they go to this pole and look at it, they will live? 
it made no sense. It wasn't a ra- it wasn't a normal anti-venom, was it? But they had to accept the word of God by faith. And if they accepted the word of God by faith, they could look and live. And that's what it says. Verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. God was teaching them. God was communicating to them. Don't look to the troubles. Look higher. And of course, we're familiar with what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God was trying to show them they were looking in the wrong direction. They looked back to Egypt. When we look back to our old life, can it get us in trouble? Oh, I remember when I used to do this and that. Oh, I remember when I used to eat this and that. And oh, it was so much fun. Or oh, it tasted so good or whatever. Looking back to Egypt like they did. They looked at the giants. They looked around them. You ever tempted to look around you? Dwell upon what's around you? This is going wrong, and this is going wrong, and this is going wrong. Even if you don't verbally complain about it, does it help you heavenward? Now, there are times when we have to figure things out and fix and whatever. I'm not saying that. But when we look and dwell on our difficulties, the giants grow in size, or so it seems. Looking back, looking around, or even looking within, and seeing the ambitions and the desires from within. God is directing them here in this account and in the entire book, look to me and live. Because the entire time in the book of Numbers, the cloud's there. The fire is there. His leading is there. Whenever they took their eyes off of their divine leader to what was around them, to what was behind them, or what was within them, It always brought disaster. And when I ask us today, where are we looking? It might seem like we're wandering in a wilderness in our journey. But was God with them even when they wandered in the wilderness? It might seem like our mistakes and our Poor decisions 
have brought us into a wilderness to wander. And it might be, but did God forsake them when they made mistakes? He was still there. His presence was still among them. But the question was, where were they looking? God counted them in the beginning. He counted them in the end. And he wanted a people he could count on. God has counted you. He wants to know if he can count on you. He has a journey for you. He's taking you, and our journeys of life vary, but he's taking you, inevitably, to the promised heavenly Canaan. We might not always take the most direct route there. We might not understand the way that we go. There are times when it seems like there's more difficulties that block the way than anything else. All of that happens But the question is not whether we're going. The question is, can God count on you? He counted them in numbers, but he had to count them again because they hadn't learned to look to him. God's counted us. But have we learned... Not to look around us. Not to look behind us. Not to look within us. But to look to our leader along the way. I think Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 summarizes the message of the book of Numbers. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus. He is the beginner and the finisher of the journey. And the two men that looked to Jesus were the ones that went through the wilderness to the promised land. Joshua and Caleb did not look at the difficulties. They were there. They saw the same walled cities. They saw the same giants. They knew the difficulties, but they didn't look to them. They looked to their leader that was leading them on their journey. And Caleb could say, we are well able to go up and conquer it because God is with us. Where you look is where you're going. 600 plus thousand look back to Egypt, look to the difficulties, and that's as far as they made it. But two men Joshua and Caleb looked to their leader, looked as he was guiding them, and as they looked to him, they crossed over to that promised land. 
The book of Numbers shows us that God is still leading a people even when they're murmuring. The book of Numbers shows us that wildernesses don't last forever. That God does not forsake us in our wildernesses. But most importantly, the book of Numbers shows us where we must look. We must look to our leader, our divine leader. Because he's still leading us. We might not see the cloud and we might not feel the fire, but God is leading us still. And he's counted you. The question is, can he count on you? He's counted you. Can he count on you to look to him? Not to the difficulties around us. Not to the distractions along the way. But to look to him. The author, the beginner and finisher of our faith. I want to be one of those that is numbered and makes it to the promised land, don't you? May we be determined by God's grace. We're not going to look to the distractions around us or within us, but that we're going to look to that divine leader that leads us on, knowing that if we are looking to him, he's going to lead us to that heavenly Canaan. May we determine by God's grace to be there.